With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. My name is Kevin Valentin. I'm one half of the podcast. And I'm the other half of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. Kevin, what a day so far in the NBA. Kyle, what a day so far in general. Lord knows what the hell you've been through. We'll get into that in a second. But... Since you mentioned it, the NBA has been absolutely insane. NBA free agency every summer is always crazy. So just to give you guys a quick agenda, today Kyle and I are going to talk about some of the craziness that has occurred in the NBA between some free agency acquisitions, some opinions on what those acquisitions will do to the teams in which they landed on. We're going to talk about some of the MLB moves and how those players have, I guess, maybe... What's the word I'm looking for, Kyle? How, how those players have acclimated to their new surroundings. I'm sorry. It's, again, I always blame it on time, but I'm sitting here. I just had a brain fart in that instance. I had no excuse. <laughs> and then, of yeah. course, we're going to wrap it up with our predictions in the NFL. We have now, unfortunately, transitioned into the division in which I call my home in the AFC South in terms of our predictions for there while in regards to giving some updates as to some things going on within that division. So, Kyle... I know you got some questions for me. I know we've been thinking about a lot of things and sending messages back and forth throughout the entire day. But, dude, what a day, like you said, man. Yeah, I mean, this is the first day of NBA free agency, and we've seen a lot of players move in the first day so far, really within the first couple hours or so. We've seen some pretty solid names. Lonzo Ball, he's going to the Chicago Bulls as long, um, excuse me, as with Alex Caruso as well. Um, in Miami, we have Kyle Lowry going to the Heat. Also, we have P.J. Tucker. He signed with the Heat after the one-year run that he had with the Milwaukee Bucks. And then kind of transitioning back to the Western Conference, uh, we have the Lakers making some moves. They re-signed Dwight Howard from the championship year that he had <laughs> in the bubble. Also, they signed Trevor Ariza. And there's kind of like the outside possibility that they could sign Carmelo Anthony as well. That one hasn't happened yet, but there's been some rumors circulating about Anthony possibly going to LA. Also, we have Chris Paul. He did re-up with the Suns, and he signed a four-year deal. And it could like it could be that Chris Paul is going to finish out his career in Phoenix. He had a pretty solid year with Phoenix. They went all the way to the finals. Unfortunately, they lost to the Milwaukee Bucks, but still, Chris Paul was a huge piece for the Suns getting all the way to the finals this year. Kevin, did you want to mention something? The fact that you just skipped over my man Wayne Ellington out there, man, out of UNC, signing with the Lakers on a one-year deal, just 
rubs me the wrong way a little bit, uh, but it's okay. It's fine. I know we yeah. we we tight for time tonight, so it's you, okay. You're, listen, you're pulling you're pulling hard for your boy from UNC. I can appreciate that. But you, you okay. dropped the, hey, you dropped them in, so he'll know what's up. He knows. I'm here but, for you, Wayne. But I'm going to start with the Chicago Bulls with Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso signing their deals to be with the Bulls for the foreseeable future. These are some big moves, and they already add to a solid core with Zach Levine, Kobe White, and Nikola Vucevic. So, Kevin, my question to you is, with the signings of Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso to add some depth to the Chicago Bulls, could the Chicago Bulls realistically be a top-four team in the Eastern Conference this upcoming season? It's really sad that I have to answer this as bluntly as I do, but absolutely the fuck not. Um, I know that the the addition of these two guards does help give them some momentum, give them uh, maybe an additional version of how the floor should be ran with Lonzo Ball being a a true uh, facilitator and a floor general with with his court vision. Alex Caruso with with his athleticism as well as his defensive capabilities. But if we're looking at the Chicago Bulls, it goes well past the, the lack of a point guard if I'm being completely honest, obviously the defensive liabilities on both sides of the floor in terms of like on the, on the forward side slash center and at the guard position is in and of itself. Obviously we know that Zach Levine is a superstar in this league and he did need a little bit of help. Uh, The addition of Vucevic was a, a great asset at the trade deadline for the bulls, but it was a little too late in regards to their playoff push. They did just barely fall short of maybe making the eighth seed or should I say maybe even making the playoff tournament. And I think that um, these acquisitions definitely does help them to make them an official postseason contender, definitely within the, uh, the playoff seed or the playoff contention that now includes the, uh, the play-in tournament that's going to happen this year again. But I do like the fact that they added Lonzo Ball for the defensive end as well as his facilitation. I do like that they added Caruso for some depth on the defensive end as well. I think that's going to definitely help um, take some pressure off of Zach Levine having to do a lot of things. We also know that uh, Otto Porter Jr. is a free agent as well. So he will not be on that roster. So that defensive wing is going to definitely be needed. And maybe Alex Caruso can give them some form of flexibility. But if we're talking about just straight fourth seed contention or top four seed contention, that's an absolute no. We have Brooklyn getting fully reloaded. We definitely have Milwaukee coming back. Obviously, we have Philadelphia coming reloaded, depending on what happens with Ben Simmons. Atlanta is definitely not going to walk away from their success this season. They're not. They're definitely not going to be able to just, you know, fall back to crap. I think that the Knicks doing what they did in free agency today. I know we didn't mention them, but them resigning Norland Noel, Alec Burks, Derek Rose, and a litany of some other players like Evan Fournier and so on and so forth are going to make them a contender in the East once again. But Chicago still has too many holes and too many question marks for me to say that hey, I can see them making a push for four. The East is no longer the laughing stock in which it used to be for the majority of Kyle and I's life. So it's a lot more contended. Uh, there's a lot more contending. There's a lot more teams out there gunning for the top spot. And I mean, as you saw last year in the play-in tournament, there was no easy walkovers other than Indiana kind of blowing their next game or their, their second game uh, in the play-in tournament. So I love Chicago. Don't get me wrong. I really do. But there's no shot in my mind that they're going to find a way to reach it to the top four seed. I think a top four might be too big of a stretch for me. But, I mean, just looking at the Eastern Conference last year, 
I could realistically see them being maybe a five or a six seed next year. Now, it's all going to be dependent on how these teams in the Eastern Conference make their free agency moves within the next couple of days or so. I mean, I'm 100% with you. I still have the Nets above them, the 76ers above them, the Bucks, the Heat, and the Knicks. Um, if I said the Knicks twice, whatever, you know, there could be no, another team. Like, there could be another team like the Hawks as well. So could Chicago find a way to kind of slide into that five or six spot? Yeah, I think they could. It's just the way that I see this roster, though, is these guys are fairly young. They have a nice core of young guys that I think as time progresses, they will get better over time. Lonzo Ball is kind of one of those guys in particular. He came into the league with a broken jump shot. And within the first couple of years of his NBA career, he's been able to not only fix his shot, but he's become one of the more well-rounded guards in the league. I'm not saying like he's the top of the line point guard, but he's a solid NBA guard at this point, and he needs to be respected. So I think Chicago made a nice move to acquire him. I also like the fact that they just add some depth uh, to help out Zach Levine so there's not too much pressure on his shoulders going into this season. We saw Zach Levine have a remarkable year this past season, but at points of time, it did seem like Zach was carrying a significant load for the team. So that's why I think they did try to make some adjustments by trading for uh, Nikola Vucevic in the season last year. I I just think that by and large that I think Chicago is going to be a tough out just because this team is a lot more well-rounded. They do have a solid bench. Like I mentioned earlier, they did add Alex Caruso. He got a nice contract with them. So they've definitely got some decent guards moving forward with this team. And the way that I currently see it is this is going to be a tough out in the Eastern conference. I think they still have a little ways to go to get to the top four in the Eastern conference, but I think their ceiling this year is maybe five at the most. I think realistically, they're going to be probably somewhere around the six or seven seed just because the Eastern conference, the, the top half of the Eastern conference is just stupendous i mean you got contenders you got really three or four contending teams in the eastern conference and you might have to throw in miami just because that they've been making a lot of moves within the first day of free agency as well so it's definitely a possibility in my mind that they could be a top five maybe a top six team in the eastern conference top four might be stretching it though but i definitely just wanted to get your perspective on it just because it seemed like to me that Chicago made some solid moves on the first day of free agency. And they, they seemed like one of the winners on day one in free agency so far. No, I mean, for sure. When you go and add a point guard like Lonzo, and we've talked about it a multitude of times in, in, in not only his career as just individuals, but on this podcast, the man has really developed and has really shown a lot of promise over the last two or three seasons in terms of not only developing his jump shot, but becoming a well-rounded NBA player. We know that he was always good at passing and rebounding, but he's really kind of come out there and shown that he can pretty much guard uh, the majority of point guards out there. He's very aggressive. He's very quick. He can run the break. And as I had stated, he's a good floor general. So now that he's kind of developed his own jump shot and he's got a couple of years under him in the league, I think that he can definitely become a really big asset to Chicago in terms of their backcourt with Zach Levine 
and facilitating to a lot of those other players that are going to need to get it going early if Zach can't. So Chicago as a whole is definitely going to make some noise. I don't necessarily agree if they're going to be even a top five or a six seed because we have yet to see how that's going to mesh together. Uh, But I would not be surprised if it happened. Another team in which has made a very, very big splash in free agency at a very early stage is going to be the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat have supposedly, as of right now, acquired Kyle Lowry in a sign-and-trade in a three-year, $90 million deal from the Toronto Raptors in a sign-and-trade. So right now, as it stands, Kyle Lowry will be coming over to Miami. Goran Dragic, with his remaining contract, will be sliding over onto uh, Toronto. We do not know the rest of the standards, or should I say the details for the rest of the trade, as it is still kind of being ironed out with both organizations. Rumors have it that Goran Dragic will seek a buyout and or another trade to the Dallas Mavericks. That's where his priority is to land. Uh, I know that he still has the remaining chunk on his contract. I think about, I don't know if it's 14 or $19 million for whatever reason. I'm thinking it's 19.2. It could be 14.2. I know that it's in that range. My brain is just kind of fried right now with everything that's been going on and keeping track. My notes here are kind of frazzled. Uh, but Goran Dragic is looking to leave Toronto and not stay there either. But Kyle, I mean, I know you have some questions on that regard too, because that also includes the re-signing of Jimmy Butler and their sharpshooter Duncan Robinson. So, I mean, dude, what what is going on in Miami? Because Pat Riley is never one to shy away from free agency, but he made some noise this year. Well, yeah, and and that was going to be one of the things that I was going to mention is it seemed like to me last year that Miami just ran out of gas. I mean, they got waxed in that first round playoff matchup in the Eastern Conference playoffs last year. And it just looked like to me that the entire team was just exhausted from the prior season. They didn't get a lot of time off from the end of the bubble when they played the Lakers in the finals going into the next season. And it just looked like to me that they just, they just, couldn't really hang that much because I think by and large, I think the team was just exhausted, but now that they've gotten some requisite time off and that they've made these moves, they look like a much more competitive team going into this upcoming season. So my question to you is with them signing, signing Kyle Lowry and PJ Tucker as well. He was one of the veterans that signed with them just a couple of hours ago. What do you think the ceiling is for the Miami Heat this season? Dude, the Heat are definitely kind of trying to sit back here and say, last season did not go the way that we had planned. We have re-signed our future in Bam Adebayo. This year we re-signed our leader in Jimmy Butler. We re-signed our sharpshooter, our go-to guy to get hot in Duncan Robinson. And we have now addressed the point guard position that has been lackluster for the past 10-plus years because obviously we know that the Miami Heat dynasty that ran through with LeBron James and Dwayne Wade did not necessarily have a point guard at the facilitator position with Mario Chalmers, Norris Cole, and a number of other players. So the signing of Goran Dragic a few years back when they went and made that big $90 million offer sheet was great at the time, but when you really look at it, he's not necessarily a true point guard as he is a scoring guard. Now Kyle Lowry is as well, but Kyle Lowry brings a lot of different things to the table. Championship pedigree, consistent three-point percentage, leadership, and just somebody that can facilitate now. Getting upwards in the later, uh, the later latter portion of his years in the league, I think that he's going to be able to take a lot of pressure off of Jimmy Butler, 
having to bring the ball up. I think he's going to be able to let Jimmy do what he needs to do on both ends. Obviously, on the defensive end is what Jimmy's known for. But Jimmy has developed a, a, a mid-range game as well as his strength in attacking the basket and on the rebounding aspect as well. So he'll just have to kind of focus on doing what he used to do back in Chicago with the, what he did with Derrick Rose. But a lot less stress for him. Uh, Bam Adebayo will have a true point guard to kind of run through those pick-and-roll sets with him. Uh, I know Duncan Robinson is happy to have someone that's going to be able to bring the ball up and get him involved in the offense a little bit quicker. So as a whole, I really, really do see uh, Miami as a competitor next season, obviously with a full offseason of rest, with a full offseason uh, incorporating uh, practices and, uh, and camp to get those new acquisitions, uh, newly acclimated, will be very, very well for the franchise. I think Miami catapults themselves back into a top four, top five seed I know last year they were a six, kind of struggling on and off throughout the year. But I do think that this year, with the declining of the option of Andre Iguodala and being able to save that $15 million to spend towards the other players that they needed to re-sign or bring in, uh, Miami is no joke. That starting four is, uh, is, is pretty solid if you really, out, if you really throw out there. The, uh, also, the acquisition of P.J. Tucker. Uh, so, I mean, you guys starting at the one, uh, hopefully Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler at the two or the three. Duncan Robinson is probably going to start. Um, and then obviously Bam Adebayo at the five and PJ Tucker at the four. So, I mean, like that's a pretty solid starting lineup. If you really were to ask me in the Eastern conference, I don't know if it's enough to compete for a championship, but I do think that they have improved dramatically from where they were last season. Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. I think and they also just signed Dwayne Dedman. Okay. So the way that I currently see it is I think they could definitely be a top four team in the Eastern conference. I, I'm a little bit skeptical about the Kyle Lowry acquisition simply because of his age. He's going to be 35 this season. He was dealing with some injuries last year since he only played 46 games. And, you know, statistically speaking, he did not have his best year last year. And I think with the way that I currently see, he's a 35-year-old point guard. It's a three-year deal. You know, by the end of the contract, he's going to be 38 years old. Now, what comes along with that is, like you mentioned, a veteran presence, a true leader, a championship leader for this team. And you pair that alongside with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. I'm not going to say that it's like the big three of what LeBron James, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade were. But this is a respectable big trio for Miami going into this season. We are forgetting Victor Oladipo on this roster. What do you mean we're forgetting Victor Oladipo? Victor's on this roster, and I didn't even remember. Like, I literally just saw a report that Houston is still absorbing that contract in terms of acquiring Daniel Tice. Guys, that's a whole different conversation with Daniel, but I totally forgot Victor was even on this roster because he missed pretty much not only the entire playoff, but, like, the the, the end of last season. Victor Oladipo, if he comes back healthy, starting at the two with Jimmy Butler, that's huge. Well, that was going to be something I was going to bring up. The fact of the matter is, I, I can't really rely on Victor Oladipo's health. That's the main concern with me. No, but I just forgot. No, it, no. I mean, it, it, it was a point that I was going to bring up, but I have to see Victor Oladipo play consistently for that team, just because let's be honest, ever since he tore his quad when he was back with Indiana, he's never been the same. He can go out there and still have a decent game here and there, but it's not consistent, you know? So 
I think really the most important thing with Victor Oladipo is just to try to get some consistency on the court. That's what I want to see, at least, just because I know that he's capable of being a huge factor for Miami moving into this season. It's just I can't rely on him because of his health. And it kind of goes with the same thing with Kyle Lowry. So I think by and large, though, this was a move that is going to benefit Miami this year. And I do think that the acquisition of P.J. Tucker, I think by and large, that's more just for depth purposes. I mean, I saw P.J. Tucker throughout the entire playoff run where he was with Milwaukee. He was just a guy to basically go out there and foul people. He might hit an occasional bucket here and there, but he's pretty much just out there for depth purposes at this point. But look, you're getting a guy from a championship contending team in the Milwaukee Bucks uh, this past season. So I just don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. So maybe he can bring some of that over to Miami, but I still think that Miami is going to be a solid team going into this year. I'm not saying that they're going to be a number one or a number two seed this year. I think that's a little bit, too high of an expectation for this team, but they've got a very good shot of making the top four. When you got Jimmy Butler, who's one of the most dynamic players in the NBA, the fact that he can play solid defense on one end and can put up 18, 20, 25 points on a consistent basis. You know, you're not going to find too many players like that in the league. And, you know, as long as these guys can stay healthy, I think Miami could definitely be a contending team in the Eastern conference this year. They will be, have a much improved record from this past season, for sure. No, 100%. I mean, like, I'm just sitting here scrolling through Twitter on all the updates, and I mean, like, wow, within the last, like, hour since we started recording and kind of planning our agenda, I mean, we have a litany of other players signing in a, in, in a whole bunch of different places. Um, I know we're going to mention the Lakers in a couple of minutes, but Kent Bazemore just signed there. Apparently, there was some drama in Alex Russo's camp that said, hey, we came back to the Lakers after Chicago made the offer, and it and, – L.A. was like, we're not matching that offer. So Alex Caruso is a little hurt. Uh, Blake Griffin signs a one-year deal uh, to remain with the Nets. Uh, like I said, Dwayne Dedman signs out there with Miami. Uh, Miami also keeps Max Strauss uh, to remain with the Heat. I don't know who that is exactly, uh, but, you know, he's staying there in Miami. And, I mean, like, it's just like Woj bomb after Woj bomb. It's just it's, – it's getting kind of crazy, guys. I mean, um, Devontae Graham, the Charlotte Hornet star that kind of came out uh, in the bubble, uh, he has signed a four-year, $47 million with the Pelicans. And he the, – the Pelicans will actually have to do a signing trade that involves a first-round pick to be sent over to the Hornets because he was a restricted free agent. So, I mean, guys, this, this, is, this is what me and Kyle love. It, it's stuff like this. Like we're talking about breaking news as it's happening right this very moment. We got to get. We want to give you guys incredible content as quickly as possible. And the fact that things are just kind of transpiring as we're having this recording live is just it. It, it further[s] what we love to do and we enjoy it. And I know I, I'm speaking for the both of us right now, but in regards to the fact of this podcast, we're putting our opinions and everything. Yes, but the fact that we're able to provide you guys with this news. Uh, when it happens, it's kind of crazy. And we know that you're not going to see this until the morning or you know, late evening, whenever it is that you guys see this, depending on your time zone. Uh, you guys know that we're getting it as quickly as we can. So I don't know, man. The, the, the NBA free agency has always been my favorite out of all free agencies in regards to all sports. But 
Oh my God, Norman Powell. He resigns with the Portland Trailblazers five years, ninety million dollars. And I, I can do this all day. I'm literally just scrolling between Woj, Shams, and NBA Central. So I mean, like, I know we have other things to talk about. Kyle, take the mic away from me before I keep going because this is <laughs> this is crazy. No, it's definitely good to mention those just because it's it's just developments that are happening in real time. Obviously, you know, we'll, uh, we'll upload the episode tomorrow, but still, like, just on the fly, just what we're getting in real time. It's definitely. It adds a nice element, so definitely worth mentioning. So you did mention the Lakers. So the Lakers, they did sign a couple of uh, decent pieces today. You've got Dwight Howard returning to the Lakers after one year with Philadelphia 76ers. They bring back they bring back an old championship player in Trevor Ariza. It's been over a decade since he last played with the Lakers. And then you also mentioned they signed Kent Bazemore which I didn't even know about until you mentioned it like 30 seconds ago. So, you know, with the signings of Dwight Howard, Trevor Reza, Kent Bazemore, and the outside possibility of Carmelo Anthony as well. I know there's been some rumors around him going to the Lakers on a veteran minimum deal, potentially. So, Kevin, my question to you is, as it stands right now, do the Lakers have the best roster on paper in the West right now? I don't want to say the best. I want to say good. I want to say talented. I want to say strong. But again, it's on paper. We have to see how this team meshes together. The acquisition of Russell Westbrook changes the dynamic of an entire roster. Lakers aside, LeBron James aside, his mentality, how he goes about the games, uh, his attitude in the locker room is going to really dictate how this lineup is really going to go. And obviously, vets are going to want to come and play with superstars like AD, Braun, and Russ. But I really, really do stand by the fact that I, what I said last episode, where they're going to live and die by Russell Westbrook. Granted, LeBron James is very good at playing off the ball, but how Russell is going to approach these games is going to be pivotal. Is Russ going to go in there and shoot 20 times a game? Is he going to get into one of those slumps where he feels like he has to put up that many? And I don't believe that he does because now he's playing with probably one of the best players he's ever played with alongside Kevin Durant and Paul George. Uh, so I, I really see the Lakers going back to the top of the Western Conference and, and that upper echelon top two seeds, depending on what happens with the rest of the conference. But I can't necessarily say that the best team on paper because Trevor Reese is in his upper 30s. LeBron James is upper 30s. Anthony Davis injury prone. Russell Westbrook has his own issues between his play on the court, his mentality, and obviously um, – some of his injury questions and, you know, Kent Bazemore, Wayne Ellington, Dwight Howard, all in their upper thirties. So if this continues the way that they're going, they might have the oldest roster in the NBA, not to take away from the fact that these players can't play at a high and efficient level. But when you're talking an 82 game season, are they going to all be able to make it? Who knows? Are they going to be able to stay healthy? I have no idea, but in terms of strength and belief, if they were to stay healthy, I do think that the Lakers can remain at the top of the Western Conference. I think if you look at this team on paper and you go back like eight, nine years to like 2012, oh my God, this would be a God squad back then if you had all of these players You're on the team currently back then. Yeah, that would be an amazing lineup. But I think your points are well made. This is an older team. There's no denying that. And... The one thing that's going to really stand out to me is whether or not that these guys are going to be available. Anthony Davis had has had injuries throughout his entire career. LeBron James, 
the last two to three years, he's been injury prone. He's been one of the more durable players in the league that we've ever seen. But it does seem like father time is starting to catch up with him a little bit just because he has missed time with groin injuries, ankle injuries that have sidelined him for weeks on end and have definitely hindered his play to a significant extent. And not only that, you have Russell Westbrook. He has his injury questions like you mentioned, but he's a turnover machine despite the fact that he could put up monster triple-doubles on a nightly basis. So when I look at this team, the way that it's currently assembled, I do think that this big three is going to be a solid team moving forward with the Lakers. It's just, what's this back end of the roster going to look like? Is it going to be enough to go toe-to-toe with title contending teams in the Western Conference, like the Phoenix Suns, like the Denver Nuggets, like the Los Angeles Clippers? These teams can all compete for a finals next year. And with the Lakers, I think they're definitely one of those teams in the mix, just off of paper right now. If they add Carmelo Anthony, I think it may help them even a little bit more. But the biggest thing with me is, are these guys going to be available? And that's really kind of the best hope is if they do, yeah, I think this team could be one of the best teams in the Western Conference next year. But, you know, with age comes attrition. And these guys have been in the league a long time, you know, especially when it comes to LeBron, Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis. And Anthony Davis, even though that he's still relatively young, he's had injuries throughout the entirety of his career. It almost kind of makes him look old or make him sound old just because with all the injuries that he's had. So I'm not going to say that they're the best roster on paper in the Western Conference. You could make a case that they might, but I think by and large, I would still side with Phoenix just because I think they're a more well-rounded team from one down to 10 and even beyond that. So you can make a case that the Lakers have it, but I'm going to side with Phoenix on this one just because, you know, they got to the finals this year. I have to respect that. And, you know, the fact that they were able to bring back some decent pieces in Chris Paul and Cameron Payne while still keeping their core together, I would probably give it to Phoenix just by a smidge, though. To transition into the next segment, that's going to be the MLB. Obviously, over the last couple of days, there's been a lot of buzz about the MLB and their trade deadline that happened last week. And uh, it seems that one team in particular was willing to unload a litany of players on their roster, a litany of all-star players, nonetheless, in which consisted of Javier Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Chris Bryant, and a couple of other people. But we're going to focus on the three of those people. The Chicago Cubs decided to trade those people away, obviously with their contracts expiring at the end of this year. So they said, you know what, let's get some stuff back for them. Anthony Rizzo gets traded to the Yankees. Javier Baez goes to the Mets. And then Chris Bryant goes to the Giants. All three are in playoff contention. Obviously, some more than others. Javi and Chris, because the Yankees are doing whatever they're doing. I'm not going to say anything about that. This is the Yankees episode or take or segment. But something happened for the first time in MLB history in which all three of those players hit home runs in their debuts. In which Anthony Rizzo has been cooking for the Yankees since he's joined. Javier Baez literally said, hey, I want to go and play with Francisco Lindor, and then pimps a home run the left field. 
And then Chris Bryant joins an already stacked San Francisco Giants team who is fighting the Dodgers and the Padres in the most competitive division in baseball in the NL West. And he adds a gold glove presence at third base and a great bat. So, I mean, Kyle, my question to you is what impact are these players going to have on these teams? All three teams are fighting for a playoff spot. And all three players are phenomenal at what they do. God, all it took was them to get traded for them to actually start playing, I guess. It's like Chicago hit the eject button, and then these guys said, okay, now it's time to show up and start playing. So, I mean, when I look at all these three players, you know, Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, they're all going to be in contention for the playoffs this year. So, you know, each player in the respective teams, I think they're going to have pretty big success. It just depends on, okay, which one's going to perform the best out of all of them. And, you know, the way that I currently see it, Anthony Rizzo for the Yankees has been phenomenal. Hits freaking two rockets in the series when they were playing against the Miami Marlins this past weekend. And you couldn't have asked for a better start if you're the Yankees, you know, for the guy that you just traded for just a couple days ago. So I think by and large, you know, just based off of production that I've seen so far, I would probably give the edge to Rizzo just because he's been a consistent hitter for the Chicago Cubs up until the point that he was traded to the Yankees. And since he's been traded, he's had a phenomenal start. Now, whether he carries that for the rest of the season, obviously that's yet to be determined. But, you know, not only is he thriving, Javi Baez, granted, I've only seen a couple of games where he's played with the Mets so far, so he still has kind of a small sample size. I mean, all these guys kind of have a small sample size. But the confidence that he presents to the Mets is infectious. He did that with he did that in multiple years with the Cubs. I'll expect kind of more of the same when when he continues his tenure with the Mets. And Chris Bryant, you know, Chris Bryant is one of the more I would say better players in the league. And the fact that he goes out there and hits a freaking missile to left field in his first game with the Giants, that's got to be phenomenal. And it's got to be a phenomenal feeling for not only Chris Bryant, but it's his new teammates in San Francisco as well. And when you kind of look at it, at Chris Bryant's situation, he goes from the Chicago Cubs to a team that's just not having a good year this year. And he goes to basically one of the top teams in the National League in the San Francisco Giants. I know that a lot of, uh, a lot of attention is paid to San Diego and L.A. just because L.A. has a stacked roster. And San Diego just has excitement with Fernando Tatis. But the Giants have been very good throughout this entire season. I think, by and large, I think to a certain extent, I don't think a lot of respect is being paid to the season that the Giants are having. So the fact that they were able to add a solid bat in Chris Bryant, and he's already producing for them at a high level, I mean, what more could you ask? So it's kind of like I said... I guess it, all it took was a trade for these guys to really start playing up to the potential I think that you and I both think that they have. And when it comes to playoffs, I think all three of these guys have a very good shot to be not only in the playoffs, but provide a huge impact for their respective teams when they get there. No, I mean, honestly, each of them have literally played such incredible baseball. Not only just 
as a Chicago Cub, but individually. Chris Bryant coming into the league when he did and just making an immediate splash directly from college. Javier Baez being one of the more emotional leaders in this sport, someone that just kind of carries a team with his attitude. Anthony Rizzo making his impact known from when he got drafted as well. And then the three of them coming together to kind of combine to lead the Cubs to their 100-year drought of a World Series in 2016 was just, it was one for the history books. And it's unfortunate that the, the dynasty that was projected did not come to fruition. But at the end of the day, the three of them are still studded baseball players and studded athletes. And to go to three respective teams that are going out there to compete for a World Series, granted, I'm not saying any of them are going to be able to win the World Series the way that the Dodgers are stacked, but it's going to lead for a good postseason coming up in this fall. Because obviously Anthony Rizzo adds depth to the Yankees already star-studded power lineup, and it gives them a gold glove at first, a uh, gold glove first baseman. Chris Bryant, same thing out there in San Francisco, a steady infielder at third, another gold glove, a great bat contact, a uh, guy that can drive in runs late in game. He's shown it in his career that he can be clutch. Javier Baez, gold glove at second base. We know what he can do in terms of defensively and then his kind of, like I said already, his attitude and his mindset towards carrying a team with their with their emotions. And he's already got chemistry with playing with Francisco Lindor in the po- Francisco Lindor on the Puerto Rican national team. The combination between them at short and second base is going to be one for the history books because the two of them are basically vacuum cleaners out there in the middle of the field. So, I mean, the Mets have just added another incredible glove, a great bat, a great guy, one of my favorite players to watch in baseball, Puerto Rican heritage aside, just somebody that brings so much energetic joy to the game. So, I mean, when trades like this happen and you see teammates get split, but they don't get split to the point where they go to a place to die. or a pl- It's not a place, but a, a, a place where their career is going to die, like the Diamondbacks or like the Orioles or stuff like that. And I'm not trying to shit on anybody's team in particular, but I mean like those franchises tend to get players randomly or like, you know, they'll give up a boatload to get one major superstar. And it's like, well, that guy just like for the rest of his career kind of plays for a mediocre team. And it's kind of just like, well, damn, that sucked. We gave up everything for – for him to not even be able to help us get back to relevance. So, bottom line, the MLB trade line the deadline did not disappoint, and I'm happy to see that the three players that were moved from the Cubs were going to three great teams. And I'm excited to see how the end of the season pans out because, you know, even with the three of those players going to where they went, that's not really going to change where the Dodgers are headed, where the Red Sox are headed, or where the Astros are headed. So, I'm excited for fall baseball. I'm excited for postseason baseball. And this is the time where it matters most in the MLB. Teams got to make a difference. And obviously, the Yankees didn't get the memo today, losing to one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in baseball, 7-1, to one, almost getting no hit by a 2-12 and 12 starting pitcher. Before I give myself a migraine, Kyle, do you have any last thoughts on this segment before I go and uh, jump off screen? No, I, I was gonna I was gonna ask you, like out of these three players, who do you think is going to be just the most crucial player for their respective team when it comes crunch time in the playoffs? If all three Javier You think so? Javier Baez. I mean, like I said, the Mets are a great team in terms of, you know, what they've been able to do this season with the roster that they've been able to withhold. The addition of Lindor this offseason and giving him the bag getting the man that he wants in the infield partnered by him in Javier Baez. 
Javi being able to bring that energy to that already star-studded or, you know, the, that that athletic group that's within that Mets dugout. You tie that in with Pete Alonso and Conforto, and you have yourself a really, really, really good roster and a really good infield. So, I mean, who's to say that the Mets can't go out there and make a run? Obviously, the Braves, unfortunately, lost their best bat in Acuna this season. So the Mets are poised to kind of hold that first-place position for the remainder of this postseason, or should I say for the remainder of this season. The Phillies are up and down, obviously. We already know that. And then, obviously, the uh, – oh, my goodness. I'm really drawing a blank here. Phillies, Braves, Mets, Marlins. I'm missing a team. In, in what division? The NL East. It's the Mets. It's the Phillies. It's Marlins. The, uh, the Nationals. Oh, the Nationals. Right. Yeah. So the Mets, in my opinion, are going to run away with the NL East because the rest of the teams, other than the Phillies, are just kind of like mediocre. The Nationals unloaded their big stars and their contracts. They're done. The Braves are going to find a way to kind of compete and stay up top, but without their best bat, I don't really see them overcoming the Mets' firepower. So, yes, I'm going to stand by what I said. The Mets are going to do what they have to do. The Yankees aren't going to be able to catch up to the Red Sox. Maybe they'll catch up to the Rays, but who who the hell knows? We wake up one day and we're great. Garrett Cole, by the way, just got diagnosed with COVID. That's freaking phenomenal. So he was supposed to start tomorrow. There goes that. And for the next foreseeable 14 days. So fuck myself. Um, and then obviously the Giants got to deal with the Dodgers and the Padres. So, I mean, like, that's going to be a really, really, really tough division in general. But an immediate impact, Javier Baez just gives them an extra step, an extra leap, and definitely an, an added emotional support that they're going to need in the dugout. Oh, well said. Now, I really hate to do this to Kev. Um, this next segment or two is probably going to be pretty painful for him. Um, but it was like I was telling him earlier, we're just going to have to just rip the Band-Aid off on this one just to get it over with. So, Kev, I'm going to need you to hang tough here. need you to just gut it out for the next, I don't fun. know, 20, 25 minutes because it's going to be it's gonna be a tough one. So, the first segment that we'll start with is with Carson Wentz. So, Carson Wentz will have surgery on his foot. It's been a lingering issue for him for the probably the last week or so. Would you say, Kev, that he's that the news has of been days. floating around? So Probably Thursday, surgery. Friday. He will have surgery on his foot. The reports are saying that it will sideline him for five to potentially 12 weeks. And it's definitely going to throw kind of a monkey wrench into the Colts season for at least the probably the first month or two, potentially even three months into the season. So, Kev, with the news of Carson Wentz being out for the foreseeable future, how does it affect the Colts beginning to the season? It throws everything in the shambles. He's not the only injury we have at camp. Uh, you know, a guy that we go and acquire in the offseason, the drama that 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 held, um, the strain that it put on the team as a whole in terms of media, not knowing who the quarterback was going to be, getting Carson Wentz, not knowing if he was going to be healthy, not knowing if he was worth it, the, 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 the bullshit that kind of came with it and all his baggage. And then he goes out there and gets hurt basically in the second day camp with a foot injury. Now, I'm no doctor, but, you know, when you hear a pop in your foot, in training camp where there's no contact, that leads me to believe that something's fucking wrong. And obviously he originally had opted to decide to sit back and rehab, which all 
Colt fans said was fucking dumb instead of just going out there and fixing it and saying, hey, you know, science is a little bit more overpowering than my male intuition or whatever decided him or, or whatever he decided to do or what compelled him to make the decision to say, you know what, I'm just going to lay off for a couple of days. I'm going to rehab it for a couple of weeks. You know, I'm going to come back rather than saying, hey, if I don't get this surgery, I don't rehab it right. I'm probably going to make my team worse later in the season. So thankfully, somebody in his ear, God willing, it was Jesus, Frank Reich, Andrew Luck, who the hell knows who it was, his mother. Somebody was able to say, you need to have this surgery now. He's having it. Who the hell knows what the actual timetable is going to be? Five to 12 weeks is a very, 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 very long gap. Obviously, the season is about three weeks away now that we are in the middle of, excuse me, the very beginning of August, so maybe a good four weeks before the official kickoff begins. Um, I think it hinders us incredibly. I think this, this, this puts us in the back seat to have to have a backup quarterback right off the bat with no actual professional NFL experience. We obviously drafted uh, a quarterback out of uh, Texas this year. We drafted uh, Jacob Eason out of Washington that last year. We signed Brent Hundley who has a total of nine NFL touchdowns thrown in the past in his past three years. So, I mean, we, we really have nobody on this roster that can throw the football that has seen significant time on the field. So that's going to be great. Um, Ryan Kelly is hurt. He's out for a couple of weeks with an elbow injury, an elbow injury. I have no idea why, for whatever reason. I can't speak words out today, so please excuse me. I, I, I feel embarrassed. Um, Quentin Nelson left practice today. Uh, there's actually no report as to why uh, he did not finish 11 on 11 drills today. For whatever reason, he went to the tent. I guess we'll find out more tomorrow, which is great because, in my opinion, he's our best player on the entire team. Uh, obviously, uh, Marlon Mack is coming back from his Achilles injury slowly. Darius Leonard, our best player on the defensive end, has been out all of camp with an ankle injury, so he hasn't touched the field. And, and just a litany of other players. I mean, it's just, it's, it's actually kind of incredible. So um, Carson Wentz is the leader of this team as of right the second, and him being out all this time is going to really, really hurt us. So yeah, I'm not really good. I'm not in a good place. I'm not happy. Um, yeah, no, I'm not happy at all. That, that, that's really all I got to say. Do you guys have to call Philip Rivers to come out of retirement until Carson Wentz comes he's back? Coaching, he's coaching in Bama. He ain't coming back. Okay, just making sure. Um, the way that I currently see it is, man, Jonathan Taylor, you better get ready because they're going to start relying on him as, as soon as the season starts. I wouldn't be surprised if he's getting probably 30, 35 carries just because, look, when, when Carson was, when he came to the team, it was expected that, you know, it's going to be a step up from Phil Rivers, even despite the fact that Phil Rivers was able to carry that team to the playoffs last year. You have Carson Wentz, who's coming off of a a pretty rough season, or a pretty rough tenure with the Philadelphia, I was going to say the Philadelphia 76ers, with the Philadelphia Eagles. And this was a very good opportunity for Carson to really show what he's made of. You know, he gets to team up with his old offensive coordinator in Frank Reich. And unfortunately, just due to unforeseen circumstances, he's going to be out for at least a month and a half to potentially three months. So it definitely it definitely muddies the waters for the Colts this season. I'm not saying that the season is quote unquote over for the Colts yet. It's just that man that that first month 
or two to start off the season, it's going to be rough just because you're going to have to have some competent quarterback play until he's able to get back. So my expectation is, is that they're going to run the ball a lot and they do have the running back core to make that happen. So I know they've got Jonathan Taylor. They have Naheem Hines. They have Marlon Mack. Do they still have Jordan Wilkins on the team? Yeah. So they've got four running backs. So it's a running back by it's a running back committee back there. So I think they're going to try to just run the ball as best as they can. I'd probably say probably sixty to sixty five percent of the time that's what they're going to be doing offensively until Carson gets back. And I think they're going to be relatively safe when it comes to passing the ball, just because you know that's even despite the fact that Carson's not there and Carson's kind of known for turning the ball over as much as he's has throughout the first couple of years in his NFL career. So, you know, run the ball. There's going to be a big emphasis on the defense having to step up because I don't think that this offense is going to be able to score a lot of points until Carson comes back. And, you know, you're going up against the Titans. The Titans are, I would say the odds on favorite to win the AFC South at this point. And you, with the injury to Carson, I think it favors the Titans a little bit more now than before this injury popped up with Carson. So, yeah, they're, they're gonna definitely going to have to kind of trek through these troubled waters for the foreseeable future. But, you know, Frank Reich has done a pretty solid job with his tenure as a head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. But this is going to be a, quite a challenge for, for Frank as he tries to get this team to try to compete with the Titans for the AFC South. Yeah, no, the, the the division as a whole is going to be probably probably one of the most competitive years we've had in a long time. Obviously, the Titans are the favorites this year with, you know, Derrick Henry, uh, Ryan Tannehill, A.J. Brown returning. But, I mean, the acquisition of Julio Jones really catapults this team into an entire different universe in and of itself. So, I mean, with Carson being hurt um, – and a, and a litany of other players being injured. I mean, it's not boding well for us to really compete in the division, at least early on. I mean, Lord knows if if uh, Carson comes back healthy, Quentin Nelson ends up coming back with no, with no major damage to whatever it is that he injured today. Ryan Kelly comes back fully healthy. And then Eric Fisher, obviously the offensive tackle that we signed in the offseason, recovering from the Achilles injury. Uh, if he comes back and plays a huge role... Who's to say we can't make a run at the postseason, a wild card position, or even the division? You know, it's early. These are predictions. These are something that these are things that we go out and throw in into the universe with with nothing but assumptions and you know our personal opinions. So I mean, um, if I had to go over the AFC South as a whole, I would predict Titans, the Colts, the Tech, uh, the Jaguars, the Texans. Um, I think that starting off at the top, I think the Titans have a great year. I think the Titans go probably around like maybe 12 and four, uh, 12 and five. Sorry, got used to the 17 game season. Um, I think the addition of Julio Jones is really going to make it impossible for them to really be matched up from the defensive side or the defensive standpoint. You can't really do one on one coverages against them. Uh, you can't really run a zone because Derrick Henry is going to run that over. Um, you, 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 yeah, like I'm sitting here trying to find some form of a defensive alignment that would maybe slow them down, and there really isn't one. You have a running back that's 6'2", 6'3", 250 plus pounds that runs a 4440 with the strength of a tow truck. So, I mean, there's not really much you can say on that regard. You have one of the best receivers in this generation in AJ, excuse me, in 
Julio Jones, and one of the best stars up and coming on the opposite side in A.J. Brown. Granted, they did lose a tight end this year in John o. Smith, but when you add a weapon like Julio Jones, I'm pretty sure he compensates well enough for Ryan Tannehill playing very, very, uh, very good football the past couple of years. So I say that they go 12-5. and five. I got the Colts at second only because I don't see freaking Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer in that combination leading the Jaguars to a freaking 11-7 and seven season or 11-6 and six season. But, I mean, I've been wrong before. Um, I'm hoping Carson Wentz comes back within six to eight weeks, gives him some time, and by that point, you know, Eric Fisher is going to be a little bit closer to his return. God willing, the team will be at least, I don't know, if, uh, if we're four weeks out, that's four weeks in. Uh, maybe the Colts will be about two and two on a good note, maybe three and one. Hopefully Jacob Eason can hold the roster together, lead the Colts to some early victories. We'll see what happens. Um, Again, like I said, unless the Jaguars kind of catapult over the Colts early on, I see the Jaguars finishing in third. That maybe, obviously, the season can't end at a 500 record, but I would not be surprised if the Jags go uh, six and 11, maybe even seven and 10, just because of the firepower that I know that Trevor Lawrence can bring to this league and the acquisitions that they've brought to the table and the head coaching pedigree that Urban Meyer is going to bring into the city of Jacksonville. Um, I know that he's going to find a way to turn this franchise around, and we're going to be looking at this in a couple of years saying, wow, the Jags were really trash a couple of years ago. And I'm hoping that Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer can really get a groove going to make this division a lot more competitive than what it has been of recent years. And then, obviously, the Houston Texans, being the dumpster fire that they are, Deshaun Watson has really no offensive targets, not really many offensive weapons, one of the worst offensive lines in football. On the defensive end, you obviously lost your best defensive player in franchise history in J.J. Watt. You lost Clowney a few years back. And Lord knows what's going to happen everywhere else at the, on that side of the ball. So I see the Houston Texans kind of finishing off at a very mediocre 3-14, and 14, uh, maybe even 2-15, and 15, depending on how everything goes with Deshaun Watson's legal cases. Uh, but, yeah, the AFC South is going to be very top-heavy at the front four with the, or, or the front two with, with the Colts and um, – and the Titans, but overall, I had the Titans winning the division, and uh, I think Ryan Tannehill has a really, really break, big breakout year, and Derrick Henry has a repeat success. Maybe not 2,000 yards, but damn near. Yeah, I think by and large, I pretty much have the same thing as you have. Uh, I've got the Titans winning the AFC South. I believe they will go either 12-5. and five. I think at most 13 and 4, but that might be a stretch. I think 12 and 5 is going to be a good record for them. I think the Colts are going to struggle at first. I think that's just going to be the adjustment that they're going to have to get through until Carson Wentz comes back from his foot surgery. I think they'll finish off the year strong just because you have Carson back in the lineup. I think that's going to present a much more formidable team in the latter half of the season. So I think by and large, I could see them maybe finishing. 10 and 7, maybe 9 and 8. I think just to be a little bit more positive, I think I could see them finishing 10 and 7. And then after that, between the Texans and the Jaguars, like the Jaguars went 1 and 15 last year. They were one of the most horrific teams in the NFL last year. And I think they have nowhere to go but up this season. With Trevor Lawrence coming to the team, you've got James Robinson, who's one of the best up and coming running backs in the league. He had a phenomenal rookie campaign last season. So I expect the Jaguars to go, I'm going to say five and 12, five and 12, or maybe, maybe six and 11. 
I think, you know, the one in 15 season that they had last year, I mean, they lost 15 straight games. That is not going to happen again. So Should have I think been 16 straight, but that's a, that's another conversation for another day. But I do think that there's going to be some flashes from Jaguar from Jacksonville this year. I don't know if it's going to result in a above 500 record, but I think we're going to see some development and we're going to see some growth throughout this season. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to have a solid year. The main thing is trying to protect him. Obviously, we saw Joe Burrow last year with Cincinnati get absolutely destroyed, and it didn't result well for him towards ACL in his rookie season. So it's not really a good reflection on the Bengals protecting their best asset. So I think the Jaguars are going to be able to do that a little bit better with when it comes to Trevor Lawrence. So I think they'll definitely have a much improved year from last year. And it's like you said, Houston's basically going to be the dumpster fire of this division. I think I think Deshaun Watson's best target is Brandon Cooks. And after that, it's kind of a guess of like it's kind of like a list of like who's who on this team. Because by and large, this offense outside of Deshaun Watson and Brandon Cooks, it's not going to get it done. You, it's like you said, JJ Watt is no longer on this team. Defensively, they were not that good last year. They gave up the second most points in the division last year. And I kind of expect that to continue going into this season. I think realistically, I think this team maybe goes like three and 14, maybe four and 13 at best. And, you know, it's like you said, I'm basically just kind of repeating you at this point, but with Deshaun Watson's legal, his legal cases ongoing, there's a real chance that he may not even finish the season. So it's really kind of a, an ugly situation when it comes to Houston I just don't see a lot of, I don't see a lot of hope for Houston this year. So I know, hate to be the pessimist here, but it's not looking good for Houston this year. But just to kind of wrap this up, I've got Titans winning the division, Colts finishing second. They may be fighting for a wild card spot in the AFC. Jaguars will finish it at third, and then I got Houston rounding out the division. So that's who I have. We got similar mindsets usually for the most part when it comes to football. Obviously, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've actually kind of predicted the exact same thing in three out of the four AFC divisions. So we'll see what happens when we get down to the nitty-gritty of the AFC West, which is what we're going to cover later this week. Um, Guys, it is getting towards that later half of the evening where Kyle and I are going to wrap this up. Mm -hmm. Uh, The NBA free agency is still going to be ongoing for the next couple of days. This was just day one of the madness. Uh, the MLB is, like I said, kind of getting closer and closer to that postseason date, a date that I cannot wait because it's some of my favorite postseason uh, time of the year. And then obviously the NFL is going to just be just in complete revamp, revoot, reboot. I, yep, that's how you know I need to go to sleep. I said revoot. Yep, it's a wrap for me. Um, but yeah, the, the NFL is in full swing. And we are going to get to that Hall of Fame game, God willing, within the next week or so, which means preseason begins, which means we are three weeks out from the regular season. And my God, it cannot come soon enough. But as always, guys, thank you so much for all the support, all the love, everything you guys have shown us over the last couple of weeks. Uh, It's been great. I believe we're sitting at 209 subscribers still. um, And we are still looking into the entire TikTok conversation we did receive a lot of positive notion on that at least on my end uh people texting me messaging me separately telling me that that'd be a great idea uh kyle and i have been quite busy 
over the last couple of weeks with both of us traveling. Me last week, Kyle this week. So we're kind of going to take this take this week in stride with the punches and, and, and roll with it as best as we can and kind of regroup next weekend and try to see what we can do. But overall, like I said, thank you guys so much for everything. And we can't wait for the next episode uh, uh, on Thursday. I got nothing else to add. I think you pretty much knocked that out of the park there. So I think by and large, I think I'm just going to wrap it up here. Just, you know, once again, just like Kevin said, I just appreciate you guys supporting the podcast in any way, shape or form, whether it's listening to us on streaming services or whether it's watching our videos on YouTube, we always appreciate the support wherever we can get it. Like Kevin said, got another episode for you guys coming out later this week. So definitely stay tuned out for that. And with that said, you guys, we will see you guys later this week. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's his dad. No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. Touchdown. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour.